Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of the series focusing on women in blockchain. In episode three of the Women in Blockchain series, I chat with Jessica Levesque, the executive director at the Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium, also known as C4. The C4 is a nonprofit organization comprised of blockchain and cryptocurrency experts who seek to establish standards and accreditations to help ensure a balance of openness and privacy, security and usability, and trust and decentralization in the cryptocurrency space. In this conversation, Jessica and I talk about her background in education and stumbling down the crypto rabbit hole in 2017, where blockchain education gets it right and improvements that can be made, the importance of doing your own research, the community development aspects of blockchain ecosystems, how the C4's certifications are created and updated, how the blockchain industry has noticeably become more diverse in the past couple years, but still has room to grow, and more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episodes. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Jessica, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are speaking with Jessica Levesque, the Executive Director at the Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium, better known as C4. How are you today, Jessica? Great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing awesome. We got connected through Discord because you reached out to me. And one of the first things I immediately noticed was how awesome your handle was. Oh, it's just utterly hopeful, right? How did you come up with that? Yeah. So actually, the utterly hopeful is part of a mental health crew that I run, I guess. We're on Twitter and a few other social sites. And so I created it during the pandemic so that people who are at home and needed some kind of outlet would have other people to connect with that maybe also have mental health issues and wanted to be able to relate to other people. And so I just kept it through that. So I'm super passionate about ending the stigma against mental illness and people focusing more on their mental health. So yeah, we're utterly hopeful. That's the name of our organization. And uh, I'm a dork and I think it's funny and punny. (laughs) Yeah. And otters are awesome. Yes, they are. They're so cool. (laughs) So have you noticed that maybe during this downturn in the market that maybe you've been seeing other people reaching out to the utterly hopeful folks? Well, it's not really connected to crypto. So no, I haven't. It's totally separate from that. But I do know that there are a lot of people that are struggling from the downturn. I think it's always people that are new. Those of us that have been around for quite a while aren't as phased by it. But the people that are new and it's their first bear market, it's definitely more of a challenge because you know, especially if you invested a lot of money and then suddenly it's gone, something like that. But I do think that there's certainly a connection between mental health challenges and money, because if you don't have the financial access to services and different tools, then you're going to be struggling anyways. And if you made poor investment choices or you didn't make poor investment choices and the price tanked, then you could be in a lot of trouble right now, which honestly scares me because mental health is such an important thing to focus on and financial issues related to that are really impactful in a negative way. Absolutely. And I mean, not only just for new people, I've been in the space since 2017 and the drop last May in 2021 really impacted my mental faculties a lot more than I thought it would. And I thought I was impervious to that because, you know, I've been here for four years. So it's not just newbies, it's anyone. And I think uh, we can encourage people to feel proud to reach out if they need to to ask if that's the case for help. For sure. I think the the ups and downs of the market, in some cases, mirror the ups and downs of someone's, I guess, struggles with mental health or how you're doing. And this is anything with any type of financial 
piece or anything where there's a roller coaster. It's really hard if you're very focused on something like that to then manage your mental health because there's instability that's impacting it. And even if you're a very stable person, if you see something like that, it's hard to get away from it, which is actually why at C4, we focus on education, not speculation, because that focus on speculating on price is what can make things very challenging to exist in this space, I think. Mm -hmm. And the smart economy pod is protocol agnostic, but I cover NEO mostly. And that's kind of one of the big things we focus on being objective, fact-based, non-sensational to provide just information about what's happening with the tech and really try and stay away from the market. Something that I noticed in digging into your background is, you know, beyond just crypto and, and now mental health, you're also a huge advocate for education. So you have a background in education. What is it? You've worked with multiple colleges in Chicago. So can you just give me a little brief background on what your arc was for getting into education? Yeah, sure. So I think I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. After I graduated from college, I decided that I wanted to go on to grad school and I got a master's in English. And then my goal was to teach at the college level. And so I started teaching college, but it was English communication studies, very different than what I do now. And I love teaching. It's so much fun. It really is. It's just the best time. I always say learning can be fun if you have the right attitude, the right teacher. It can be a good time. It doesn't have to be a lecture hall with 500 people falling asleep. So that was something I always wanted to do. I loved it. And then I moved into administration as well and was an associate dean at city colleges. And from there, at the end of my experience within that, I decided I wanted to shift gears a little bit and move into crypto. One of my good friends was already in crypto and she, I don't know, brought me in and I fell down the rabbit hole and I haven't been out since. So I switched from higher ed to working in crypto and it's still all about the education. When I learned what crypto can do to help people and to change the world that we live in, I just became fascinated by it. So obviously, I don't have a tech background, which I think is a good thing for people who also don't but want to get into the space to notice. There are a lot of people who don't have that really technical experience but are still able to function, learn, and be a part of something that I think is this is so cheesy, but I think it's beautiful, really, what we're doing to change the world. I agree. It seems like we both got bit by the crypto bug in 2017. Yep. In my former life, I was an urban planner. Like I went to college for that. I went to grad school for that field. I was in the field for six years before I stumbled on crypto. And I was a little bit disillusioned with my previous career path. But crypto kind of like brought back that passion. And learning is something that I didn't realize until like college graduate school is something I really did enjoy having in my life. Just learning about something new and being able to go to the coffee shop and dig into a white paper was fascinating. It kind of was what excited me about being a grad student. So when I stumbled on crypto in 2017, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the way forward. So what was it specifically for you that kind of like got your gears going? And how did you parlay that into landing a position at Empowered Law? And then what were you doing when you were at Empowered Law, which was kind of your first foray into crypto? Sure. So I was working in adult education, which is specifically helping people get their GEDs and learn English. We have ELL students. And from there, the person who introduced me to crypto was Pamela Morgan, who is someone who I just really respect and look up to. She's extremely knowledgeable. When she fell down the Bitcoin and crypto rabbit hole, we were already friends. And then once she started to teach me more about it, I kind of couldn't get away from it. One of the things that I love about learning and what you were just talking about before, Dylan, is that idea of learning something new every day. And I think it's really humbling when you're confused. And as an educator, when you teach the same subject material or you're already an expert in it, it's easy to forget just how challenging it is to learn something new. And within the cryptocurrency space and Web3, I feel like I learn something new every day, which I love. And I feel like there's always something new to help others learn. But so Pamela was really instrumental in introducing me to cryptocurrency in a way that was digestible and was 
interesting to me because she didn't come at me with the technical side. She came to me and said, I love what I'm doing and here's what I'm doing. And so this is how I want to, I think we can change the world. And so I wanted to work with her through that. And so we did a lot of, most of our was focused on education and in particular her specialty, she's a lawyer and Empowered Law is all about teaching people how to safely use crypto and to plan for what no one wants to happen, which is basically what happens to your crypto assets if slash one you die. And I think that's something that many, many people are missing to have either to talk about because no one wants to talk about that because it's the worst, (laughs) but we all need to do it. And if we don't do it appropriately, your family or friends or whoever you wanted to leave your crypto to could never get it. And that I think is a devastating thing to think about. Yeah. And there's also the whole added level in estate planning for how you share your keys yeah. with your lawyer or you know maybe the safety deposit box where they're going to be in. So I agree it's a huge deal, but there's also this inherent kind of like internal strife with not your keys, not your coins. And like, am I going to share this with my lawyer? So that's an interesting kind of realm, I think, that's very important, but also a lot of people might have to grapple with when it's coming to their morals or ethics with cryptocurrency. Yeah, we're actually, well, we can talk about this a little bit later, but I want to talk about how the not your keys, not your coins and that struggle between what the custodial versus non-custodial aspect. I think it's fascinating and there's there's a lot to go in into on that, but we can keep with the intro and then we'll jump into that later if that's okay. Cool. Another kind of topic I want to pull on, and this might be broad, but it's a question I still want to ask. What role do you think education plays in doubling the amount of crypto users today? Oh God, it's huge. I think it's probably the single most important thing for adoption because if we don't approach the education in a way that easily includes people that aren't technical, then I don't think it will ever be adopted. And that includes anyone from any region of the world. And there's different types of people that are extremely intelligent. They have all of this knowledge about, they might be a financial advisor. They have all this knowledge about how to invest in the market, but they don't understand how crypto works. And because of that, there's this fear that they don't need it. They don't understand it. And then there are people who don't have much knowledge and they don't have access to traditional banking anyways, and they might be in a different place where they need a different type of education. But I think the bottom line is breaking it into these digestible chunks and relating it to the things that we already connect to in life. So one of my favorite examples is like the reason that any of us can go into a grocery store and pick out you know, a bag of Cheetos, which by the way, I wanted Cheetos last night and my partner had eaten all of them. So I like really got Cheetos on the brain today. Shame. <laughs> I know, it's horrible. But so if you're at a grocery store, you go in, you want to buy some Cheetos, pick them out, you go to the checkout and put it on the little conveyor belt, goes through. It's not stressful or an anxiety inducing for most people because you've seen this your whole life. When you were a kid, you went to the grocery store with your parent or guardian. You went through, you watched them pull out the money or the credit card. You saw the interaction so many times that it became just something that you see, something that you do. So then maybe the first time you made this transaction, you were with a parent and they handed you the money and you you gradually built up to it. And then we have crypto where we say, okay, send a transaction. It's like, well, I've never seen this before. I don't know. My parents haven't done it. My friends haven't done it. It's this whole scary world. And I don't think it needs to be, but you do need to be taught. It needs to kind of become normalized, see other people do it, experience it, have trusted individuals, organizations that you can believe in when they show you how to do it. And part of that is avoiding scams. Part of that is just finding those good resources. And most importantly, do your own research. Don't trust me. Don't trust Dylan. Don't trust anyone. Verify and make sure that you're getting the same information from multiple places to ensure that it is accurate and you're being safe. So this is kind of a a wicked problem because I myself have made every mistake you can make in the crypto space. I've been scammed. I've been rugged. I've lost crypto. I've messed up my ledger seed. I've done everything wrong you can. And this is somebody who's been in the space day in and day out. So I want to ask kind of twofold, but we'll start with the negative. 
Where is education going wrong when it comes to helping people learn how to use these networks and processes? I think that a lot of it is just basic, low-level education. I'm not saying that disparagingly. I really mean just that basic, how do you get a wallet? How do you know how to trust a wallet? What is it used for? And explaining things like when we say a transaction, what does that look like? And I think it's easier in some ways now because many years ago, the wallet interfaces weren't as similar as they are now to traditional banking. So there's an easier jump, I think, now. But still, we need to understand the terminology and exactly where to go, how to do it. And so this is something I referred to a little bit ago. I think that there's kind of been a failure to do this in the crypto space. There's so much focus on price or there's a super technical side of things and there's less basic, how do we use crypto? And so C4 has actually started a new committee and we haven't named it yet, but I've been calling it key management, but that's not, we're going to keep it. But there's a number of people already who've joined this committee and our goal is to create educational materials that make it easier for people who are just getting into crypto to understand how to actually use it. So our materials right now are much more theoretical. It's like a high high level overview. We always say it's like in order to become a certified Bitcoin professional, you don't need to be able to fix your car as a mechanic. You just need to be able to drive it. It's more like a driver's license. But what we're starting to do is create this committee and these educational materials to back up to say, well, how do you even figure out what a license is? How do you even learn how to open the car? I know that sounds silly, but if you have no idea how how a key works, you've never opened a car before, even that is foreign. So really backing up and starting at the beginning to explain how do you make a transaction? How do you even get crypto? Why is there volatility? Because that's something we experience. In order to buy our exams, you have to pay in crypto. It's like the first test. Can you pay for this in crypto? And there are people who are struggling with that. And so we've come to the conclusion that this is kind of a failure on our end and something we can solve. So we're working with this committee to create more educational material that lowers the playing field. Because I wish I'd had that when I started. I totally screwed stuff up. Oh my God, if I could go back in time, I would do a lot of things differently. Like I think often when we hear people who've been around for a while, they don't talk about what you just said, which is like, I've been scammed, I've been rugged. Like at our house, we have a phone that is totally defunct, doesn't work, I can't get rid of it, but there's no way it even matters. There's an old wallet on there from when we got our first little amount of um, BTC. And I don't even know how much it is, but I like can't get rid of the phone just in case because we didn't do what you should do, which is back up your seeds. We didn't do that. We didn't know what we were doing. And so I really wish someone had sat me down and been like, here's exactly what you need to do. And also like, it's okay if you screw up, just screw up with a small amount. And small amount is obviously different to different people, but like use a test network, really figure it out before you go out and buy, you know, $5,000 on Coinbase and then send it to who knows where. Right. That was one of the things that I really got hooked on with crypto. I've, I'm also internet native my entire life. I've been using the internet, like AOL 1.0 from back in the day. And, you know, just like hacking as a middle schooler, you know, using a uh, Super Nintendo and Nintendo kind of like types of games and figuring out how to port those to my computer. So I've always kind of been a tinkerer, like I even learned basic HTML when I was in middle school. So this is kind of where I came from. And when crypto and blockchain came into my life, it felt very much like that. And I could like tinker around and figure it out. But that was a very personal experience for me. And I'm not sure that like everybody is willing to kind of go through that. So on the converse side of the question, where has education gotten it right when we're teaching people about cryptocurrency and blockchain? Yeah, I think one of the things you brought up earlier, the not your keys, not your coins that Andreas coined, I love phrases like that that stick around. I think there's two sides of that. That's true. They're not your keys. They aren't your coins. And I think that we need to do a better job educating people on how to, as Stephanie Murphy has put it, she's from the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast, or I guess now it's speaking of Bitcoin, but she's explained it as the stairway to self-sovereignty. So you start at the bottom and you're working your way up 
to being your own custodian. And when I say be your, your own custodian, I mean holding the private keys, which give you access to the funds versus having it in an account that somebody else is controlling those keys to. But she points out that if you start at the very top, that's not the way to go. If you just get dropped in on the top, there's a lot of information you've missed. So if you start at the lowest stair and work your way up to having your own keys for your coins, it's probably a better way to go about it. But there's this issue in the space where you should start right at the top. And I think people like Andreas have done a really good job explaining why it matters and how to get in from a basic level before jumping into the more technical. He obviously does technical as well. But um, one of the reasons, so after Empowered Law, I worked for Andreas. And one of the things that I really enjoyed was the way that he explains things. And I think a really accessible way. And he talks a lot about why it matters, never speculates on the price and really focuses on adoption and I think that people like him are doing an awesome job. I think like Anita Posh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She's got, I actually have her book behind me called Learn to Earn Bitcoin. She's really breaking it down at a simple level that I think is amazing. And so there are people out there that are doing a good job educating. I would, I mean, this is a cheap pop, but I would say we are at C4. I think our certified Bitcoin professional prep book and course are awesome. Obviously, there's some bias there, but I do think it's pretty great. We get good reviews on it. But there are other people out there as well, like Jameson Lopp. So there are a lot of good educational resources. It's finding them and finding exactly what you want and avoiding the like scammy stuff on YouTube. It's like, oh, you can make a million dollars tomorrow. It's like, um, okay, dreams, but no. <laughs> a, that's super cool that you've worked with Andreas. He was instrumental in helping me begin my Bitcoin journey. And also an individual I share with people to this day. The content is just so great. And Jameson Lop has also actually really helped me in my own journey as well in various different ways as I've progressed. So it's interesting to hear that where we're getting it right is this incremental steps, basically. And, and like we make it possible for people to buy their first Bitcoin and then they can figure out how to send it to their ledger and how to store it securely. But there's also the folly of doing too much too quick and maybe skipping a step, which is really interesting. So before we go into C4, I just want to pull your brain real quick on what are some blockchain technologies that you're particularly interested in today and maybe what use cases really excite you? Oh, that's a good question. I'm very interested in, well, I love Bitcoin. I love Ethereum. I think Cosmos is fascinating. One of our board members, Joshua McDougall, has a really cool blockchain based. It's on Cosmos, IBC, and he is building this game called Strux, I highly suggest checking it out. It's really cool. But to see what people are doing on chain, and I think it's fascinating. And one of my favorite parts of his project and others is the transparency. So like for Strux, you can go on Discord and join the his chat. And then there's a channel, what's happening. And he explains, he and everyone else explain what they're doing, how they're doing it. You can ask questions. They actually want feedback. They want people to jump in and start playing this not yet finalized game and give feedback and like help develop the characters and the graphics. And I think that that is just so cool because it's something you don't see from Sony. Sony's not like, hey, what should the next... I don't know if Sony does Halo, but what should the next Halo game look like? Or there, there's not this community development aspect. And I think that that is incredible. So what Josh is doing at Strux is really cool. I'm fascinated in what's happening right now with the Ethereum merge. And it's impossible to stay away from it. We actually just did a live stream for C4 on this and we couldn't even get through everything. I don't know how many sessions it's going to be, but there's so much to it. So I'm fascinated by anything that appears to be something that's simple, but then once you get into it, it blooms and grows and there's so much more to learn. And I just think that anything that creates this community and is welcoming people in, there's also a, this isn't a protocol, but there is an organization called Surge and they're very much so working to get more women into the Web3 
free space, which I think is extremely important. And they are doing educational, what they call passports. It's an NFT that then gives you access to additional resources at a discount. So we donated some discounted things and like consensus has and a bunch of others. And so there's a lot going on that can make the space better, safer, more educational. And luckily for all of us geeks, it seems to never be ending. So it's like every day there's something fun and new that I'm like nerdy to geek out on, which is kind of my favorite thing. (laughs) Have you done a user walkthrough of Strux yet with Josh and his team? Not recently, but I did a while ago, Um, like right at the beginning, I did. And actually, I think for anyone who's interested in it, there's this article that he wrote about why he picked Cosmos blockchain versus another blockchain. He goes through like, I don't know, 10 or 15 other options that he was considering. And to read the reason that he went from you know one to the next and what was sort of the pros and cons of the different ones is absolutely fascinating. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Have you done it? Have you played it recently? Yeah, I did. A, not recently. I did a an intro walkthrough with them and I kind of felt bad because it's just like them recording a guy clicking around, talking out loud, not knowing what the heck's going on. But I'm sure that's helpful. <laughs> if you can't figure it out, they need to do different things. And so it's cool that they're asking regular people to do this. And it's not this big company that's got these huge user groups and they're just doing it because they want to figure out what'll sell best. It's really how can we make sure people will enjoy this game. Mm -hmm. And that's also the team and what Josh is doing is also something that I just support in general, like jumping from the safe thing you're doing and going full on into something you're passionate about that's kind of unknown. Uh, I felt very much like that when I was leaving urban planning and going into crypto journalism. So I also think that we should support folks who make the jump. Oh, totally. When I left higher ed, my mom was like, what are you doing with your life? You're what fake money? What are my mom? It's going to be okay. I can handle it. But it seemed very scary. And I still think she doesn't quite understand what I'm doing. I think a lot of people don't. But as it gains more adoption, a lot of the people that thought I was just, you know, making poor choices are now suddenly starting to reach out and be like, hey, so how does Bitcoin work? I'm like, ha, now you're starting to see it. It's starting to happen, which is one of those things that like as people start to shift. I feel so happy. And then when the bear market comes in and they're like, oh yeah, that's right. It does suck. I'm like, no, this is not what the focus is. The focus shouldn't be on the price. Yeah. My dad did not get what I was doing and it just boiled down to it at the end. He's like, well, if you don't ask me for money, then I guess what you're doing is fine. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So four and a half years, five years later, still haven't. So figured out a way to make it happen. Dad must be proud. Danielle, who was one of the first guest for the Women in Blockchain series, her mom says she works for Bitcoin. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So how did C4 come to be then? Yeah. So in 2014, Michael Perklin and Joshua McDougall, the co-founders of C4, who are also current board members, were discussing how difficult it was to find people who actually understood how Bitcoin worked and how could they hire people and know that they really understood. Because it's easy to say you get Bitcoin and to throw out a couple things, but to really prove you understand it is something different altogether. So they decided to come up with C4, Cryptocurrency Certification Consortium, and develop the Certified Bitcoin Professional Exam. And so Michael and Vitalik actually wrote the first CBP exam. And from there, it was around for a few years. And then in 2019, I had been working full-time with Andreas and I switched to work part-time, 50% with Andreas, 50% with C4. And so I came on as the executive director. And obviously, we've talked about how I love education and bringing somebody on with an educational background, but also just like Everyone else that was involved was a volunteer. So to have somebody be able to spend actual dedicated time has made a big difference. And we've created educational materials. And we're not just about the CBP anymore. We also have the Certified Ethereum Professional. And I'm really, really excited because our cryptocurrency security standard, the CCSS, has been around for a while. 
that's being used by people all over the world to evaluate internally if they have safe and secure systems in place. And it's been a long time coming, but in July, we're actually releasing our exam, the auditor exam, and the final standard for this version one. It has been a really long road because it's been around for literally years. And we're finally at a point now where we can release this. And of course, the, an auditor's exam is very different than like the certified Bitcoin professional or Ethereum professional exam. So we've been very lucky to be able to grow our team. And I've shifted from 50-50 to 100% of my time with C4, which is super fun because then we can really focus on getting these projects out. And Andreas remains a board member at C4, along with Pamela, who I talked about earlier. So they're still involved heavily. And then we've got a team of people now working and shout out to them. Erica, Miss, and Lisa, and Adrian are incredible. And all the work that we're doing at C4 would not be possible without them or without all the committee members. So Really, we're a small team. We run lean, but then we've got amazing volunteers to help us pick up the slack on some of these. So we're pretty fortunate to have others who care as much as we do about education and certification in the space. And I want to talk a little bit more about C4, but this is a women in blockchain focused series. And there are a lot of women that are working with C4. So it's really cool to kind of see this diversity taking effect at your level with your organization. But we'll get into that a little bit later. I do want to just kind of briefly talk about the differences about the the CBP and the CEP, other than the fact that they're just Bitcoin and Ethereum. So maybe just give us a little bit of an overview of what those two certifications are. And I'd actually be really interested to hear what were some of the nuances and differences that surprised you guys when you were creating these certifications between the two different most popular blockchain networks? Those are really good questions. Okay, the difference between them, obviously, aside from just Bitcoin and Ethereum (laughs) being different networks, the Bitcoin exam, I would say, is much more of a beginner exam. There's a lot more on the history of money and how we got to where we are, where digital money is something that's possible. It's a more basic exam. I shouldn't say basic. It's a more simple exam in that Bitcoin is more simple. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. Bitcoin does one thing really, really well. And I think it's going to keep getting better with Lightning Network. So there are less changes to it. It exists sort of as it is in an easier way than Ethereum, which is constantly being changed and updated. So it's more simple, but I say that in a positive way. I think it's a great way to test your knowledge to see if you understand it. And it's so cool like to take a test and be like, you know what? I do get this. I really do. There's proof. I understand it. Proof of knowledge through a test. And then the Ethereum exam is more challenging for sure. We're working on a prep book for that currently. And actually, we're almost done with the first draft of it. And then we'll move into revisions and whatnot. But Honestly, it is in co-writing the Bitcoin professional exam prep book versus this one, Ethereum is so much more complicated. There are so many different moving pieces to it and it's continuing to happen, obviously, with the merge and moving from proof of work to proof of stake. And then like I wrote a bunch, I wrote some in the chapters on transactions and then um, the London EIP 1559 fork happened. And I showed up at the Ethereum committee meeting next day and they started talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not know that this is, I didn't even notice that it was happening right at the same time, total like error had moved and then had to scrap all of the, the, you know, that part. But so the way that Ethereum shifts and changes definitely impacts the ability to write the educational materials and to keep up with it. But it is a more challenging exam. But I also think that the material in it is extremely important and it's really validating to be able to pass it. And once we get this prep material out, which I'm hoping is by the end of the summer, it'll make the curve to become a CEP easier because the knowledge that you need will be there. And it's important to our prep books, definitely get you prepared to take the exam and to pass it. But it's not just about passing an exam. It's about really understanding the material and 
that's the next step of why we're starting this additional committee, because we want to focus more on using it and not the higher level aspects of it. And Ethereum is, you know, move fast, break stuff and reiterate. Mm -hmm. So how do you integrate that into planning for updating the CEP as you move forward? Right. So we have a committee. The committee designs what is in the exam. And I think that's really important. It's not just me sitting here saying, oh, yeah, people should care less about Ethereum, blah, blah, blah. It's a group of people that are all in the space that collectively get together every single week. They're super dedicated and they go through what's in our study guide, what are our topics, the domains, the topics. And we go literally go through the exam and do updates on the exam questions. We also have something in the works that we've yet to roll out, but I'm hoping by the fall. It's called CrowdQ, and it is going to allow people that are not within the committee but have become CEPs, so anyone who's a CEP or CBP, to make suggestions for questions they think should be on the exam that they didn't see when they took it. But basically, it's just like the grunt work of sitting down, looking through what where we're at, what's happened, having those discussions. We have an amazing committee chair, Cheyenne Eskandari. He is a Solidity dev. He's the CTO at Ether Capital. And he has really been extremely important in getting this to move out. And so we all just get together and it's really like, okay, what about this question? What do you think? And going through it. And I have seen other committees before. And I would say that at C4, the committees we have, it all comes down to how involved they are and dedicated and spending their time and saying like, oh, I learned this. Let's make sure that we talk about it in the next meeting, like messaging about it on Telegram. It's just, it's really cool. So there's not a simple process. Basically, you just have to go through everything, cross-check, make updates, make sure that the questions make sense um, and that everything that is happening in Ethereum at the moment is included in it but also anything that is no longer relevant isn't in it. So of course the merge from proof of work, proof of stake is going to take in not an overhaul, but there are going to be many, many aspects that change because of it, which is fine. Like we, we love Ethereum. So we're happy to do the work to keep up with it. And we're fine with doing that because the end result of all of this is what matters is innovation, change, development. So, but yeah, definitely a process. My brother-in-law is in the real estate field and he sends me messages all the time of these new certification courses that are popping up for becoming a certified crypto expert. So obviously, if you take a quick look at what's going on under the hood at C4, you see a lot of expertise and knowledge. But how do you kind of combat this sort of imposter syndrome of other certification entities that don't necessarily bring the same sort of ethos or ethic that you guys bring to the processes that you have? So I was talking to someone recently who is interested in becoming a cryptocurrency security standard auditor, a CCSSA. And he told me that when he was looking into originally becoming certified, he didn't even know, he's an auditor, but he didn't know we had this standard yet. I, I believe that that wasn't where how he was introduced to us, but he went online and did a bunch of research. And he specifically said that comparing our site, just our website, what we have on Twitter, our videos, and who our board members and committee members are, he knew right away that we were the real deal, that this was that it's legit. And I do think that the people that spend their time volunteering for C4, the board, and all of the committee members are what make us so much, I don't want to say better, that might sound egotistical, but like I do, I think that <laughs> I think we're the best because we care. It's decentralized to a degree and that it's not just one person on their throne deciding what other people should know and understand about something that's meant to be community driven. And we're the oldest. We've been around since 2014, which in crypto, that's a pretty long time. Um, and we're still going strong. And in fact, we're growing. So I would say for those people who aren't sure, like I said before, do your own research. But really, don't just believe me. Check out our site. Check out others. See, I think you'll quickly discover that people who are getting certified through us are those that are the cream of the crop. And 
What are examples of people who are looking for certifications? Like, are we talking regular enthusiasts like myself? Are we talking like auditors for the IRS? Are we talking lawyers? Who are the types of clients that want to get their CBP, CEP, and soon to be CCSSA? So I think anyone who is interested in crypto and wants to be able to prove to themselves or to others that they understand this, for me, I think there is this great feeling. And anytime you are able to show that proof of knowledge, whether it's a formalized certificate or if it's even quizzing yourself or reading something, you know, reading the white paper a few years after you first read it and realizing you actually understand everything in it versus the first time when it was a foreign language. Um, so I think anything that gives you that satisfaction and that confidence is important. And real quick, you said before about imposter syndrome. I think everyone in this space has imposter syndrome from time to time. So having that proof that you really do get it, I think it's as important for us as individuals as it is to have to show it externally. But I think also... The second piece, aside from just anyone who wants to prove that knowledge, it's super beneficial to people that are lawyers, accountants that are doing anything where they need to begin to understand how crypto works for their job, or you're just fascinated by it and you want other people to understand about it. So you want to bring it into your industry. And so it is a professional certification It's also, I think, reasonably priced for those who are interested in taking it just so that they have that, you know, kind of like, yeah, go me confidence factor, which is how I felt when I took it. This is so dorky, but I was like, yes, I actually get it. I was so nervous in 2019 when I took it that I was going to fail because I hadn't taken it yet. We'd just done, we were about to start our blockchain training conference 2019, and I needed to take it before because we were announcing I was the executive director. And I was like, oh my God, if I fail, this is going to be so embarrassing because then I'm going to have to tell Michael Perklin, the chairman of the board, that I didn't pass this test. I passed, but the the studying for it was, it was nerve wracking, but it was also really rewarding. And I, I did feel that excitement that I really do finally understand something that I think isn't easy to get at first. Yeah, that's really cool. I have a million more questions I would love to ask about this, but I'm cognizant of both of our time. And I also really want to delve into this broader demographic subject of women in blockchain. So let's just start with a general question. What do you think of this concept or this perception of the subject of women in blockchain? Well, there are women in blockchain. Um, (laughs) I think it's important that it's becoming more diverse in many different ways. I do think there are more women in blockchain than in traditional tech. It seems like it's moving in that direction. There's been a significant change, in my opinion, since when I first started to now. Like Even at ETH Denver this year versus two years ago, there were way, way more women And it's nice. It's really nice not being the only woman or female identifying person in a a space. And I also think there's like this weird idea that, and this is, it's not even weird. It's just been going on forever that women are catty or they're competitive against other women. And I want to call BS on that, at least in this space. I have yet to meet someone who I think was like evil cutting and just wanted to like get ahead of the other women. Like every woman that I know in the space is super into helping other women and like lifting them up and educating and working together and just helping each other figure this out. And there is that fear of being an imposter and asking questions, particularly in a male dominated space and coming off as stupid. And so people in general, I think, tend to not ask questions that they think will make them look dumb. But there are a number of women out there who are willing to just say, like, I don't get this, or can you explain this to me? And then they're showing that they are still extremely intelligent. There's just some piece that they have a question on. And I think seeing that and modeling that is making it easier for other people to enter the space and to be able to ask those questions and women in particular. And like you mentioned earlier, our team is mostly females. And I love our team. I think that they're fantastic. And I don't think they're fantastic because they're female. I think that you can be fantastic however you identify. I do think that our team is extremely special and that we all really do care about each other. And it's what I said before 
in terms of mental health. If you're not mentally healthy, then you really, I don't think, are able to do as much as you could. So to support each other in a kind and supportive way. And that's not just women. And I think it comes all the way from the top. Michael Perklin, um, my dad was ill a couple of years ago and I really wanted to get our CBP course out. And Michael told me, he's like, stop, you're done. Like, go be with your dad. This is like, and so just working with people that put others first and not just the work, I think makes a huge difference. But there are so many remarkable women in blockchain. I talked about Pamela Morgan before, who I really admire. Anita Posh, I mentioned her as well. I think she does great work. Um, Janine Romer, she is on our CBP committee. She's a privacy investigative journalist. She's fascinating and really intelligent. And if you want to learn about how to be safer and more private, you should definitely check her out. You guys, she wears costumes to events so nobody knows who she is. And I just think she's fantastic. This is something that has kind of been popping up in these conversations. And I'm wondering if maybe there's an evolution for the ability for women to have more equal footing in the industry simply because it's just so new and we don't have this good old boy network that like insurance or housing might have. Do you feel like because blockchain is only 12, 13 years old, that maybe this is something that's allowing us to kind of circumvent these traditional kind of differentiations between uh, women in the workplace? I think somewhat, some places to some degree. I don't think it's as neat and simple as that. I would like it to be. There are a number of different Discord channels that I have joined in the past where there is definitely still that good old boy, yo bro language where they say a lot of things that honestly are extremely offensive and I think inappropriate and they go unchecked because there isn't that HR that's saying like, no, you can't say this. So I want us to be further down the road of having this be more accepting than it is. I do think that it it's not terrible. There are definitely safe spaces. I do think that as a community, we could do a better job, to be honest. But I do think that there are also a lot of people within it that are advocates for women or for minorities and want this to become as inclusive of a space as possible. And I will say that if you are trying to join and you don't know where to go, and it is intimidating being a woman and knowing how to navigate this, reach out to other women in the space, contact them, because there are a lot of us that want to see more women and want to use the skills that you have to better this space. And there is access out there, and I think it has improved. Just look for those people. And if you see something where people are saying something that you don't agree with, say something, because if behavior goes unchecked, then it's not going to get any better. Absolutely. And kind of wrapping up, final question, what is the role of mentorship in increasing diversity in the blockchain industry? I think it's huge. I think we all have a responsibility to once you get to the point where you really understand, or maybe you don't think you really understand, but you have that knowledge, at least a little bit under your belt to be welcoming and to say, hey, if you've got questions or if you want to talk about this, I'm here. That's how I got into the space. If Pamela Morgan hadn't been my mentor and welcomed me and explained all, I mean, I had so many dumb questions and she has an amazing book, Crypto Asset Inheritance Planning. And in it, she gives an example of something stupid someone did. And I can't remember, we changed the name to like Rebecca. That was me, a hundred percent me that did the really dumb thing. But having someone say like, it's okay, you're not you know, a stupid idiot. You did do something that wasn't brilliant, but, and to walk you through that. And so there are a lot of women, there's more women in the space that you can reach out to. I'm happy. I mean, I'm on Twitter, happy to connect with people, welcome people in. And um, yeah, I guess take that leap of faith, jump in and see where you can go. Because like we were saying, Dylan, neither of us thought this is where we would end up. And we both love what we do and love being and working in this space. Even if I stopped working in it, you can't get rid of me. I love it. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, join us. So how does somebody who wants to reach out to Jessica Levesque or to the C4, what's the best way for them to reach out to you and to learn about C4? Yeah. So our um, general email info at cryptoconsortium.org. You can use a contact form on our page to message us as well. I'm on Twitter at Jess Levesque, J 
J-E-S-L-E-V-E-Q. And we're also at Learn More with C4. That's our Twitter handle. We're on Facebook. We're on everything. So message us. We're happy to help. And we do respond to messages that people send us asking for help. And, and I probably spend more time than I should talking to individuals if they have questions or want help because I'm a geek and just love talking about it and you know learning from them as well. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming to join the Smart Economy podcast. We have uh, mutual friends and we have We've been adjacent on our social circles, so it's surprising that I hadn't learned more about you and Sephora until recently, but I'm really happy that I did and uh, really psyched that you were able to come onto the pod and share your knowledge and expertise. It was very much appreciated. Yeah, likewise. It is funny. It's a big world, but small circles, so it's nice to meet you. And thank you so much. I appreciate being on and talking about women and blockchain and education and how we can all do better to make this space safer and, um, I guess, bring in more new Bitcoin and Ether, Ethereum and crypto users. Well, here's to doubling the amount of users, and I look forward to running into you in an in-real-life event at some point in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dylan. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? It was awesome to learn about the origin story of C4 and how the consortia is establishing an industry standard for professional certifications. Jessica also offered a humble reminder that folks who have been in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space for a long time have a lot to offer in simplifying the onboarding process of new users and that we should all be welcoming. And that if anyone is seeking advice or a mentor, that all they have to do is reach out and ask. With that, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, Please keep NEO News Today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.